The Scritty Nurse Podcast episode is brought to you by healthcareproviders.ca. Attention hospital employees and retirees in Ontario. Picture this, a benefit plan designed for casual and part-time hospital employees and retirees who aren't covered by their hospital's group health plan. Introducing Healthcare Providers Group Insurance Plan, a friendly partner dedicated to your health and well-being. With affordable plan premiums and an exceptional support team, Healthcare Providers, also known as HCP, is dedicated to helping you every step of the way. Enrolling is easy and you'll have access to a wide range of health and basic dental benefits from day one. Already have coverage through your spouse? HCP still has your back. For less than $32 a month, the signature package, which includes life, long-term disability, accidental death, disease and dismemberment, provides valuable income protection and peace of mind for the unexpected. Take charge of your health and financial security today. Visit healthcareproviders.ca to learn more. Is this thing on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Do you think they are ready to change the status quo? It's one thing to get them listening, but now let's get them to act. You are now about to witness the strength of nursing knowledge. Hi, and welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered and unapologetic podcast which discusses health and healthcare. My name is Amy. My name is Sarah. And we are your hosts. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, Google, Spotify, iTunes, or our YouTube page. Please rate and review us. Make sure you get our book, The Wisdom of Nurses, coming April 2nd, 2024. There's no better gift than giving the wisdom of nurses to nurses during nursing week. Okay, all you Grady nurses, welcome back to the Grady Nurse Podcast. We have another exciting episode today. We have someone on who's been on several times before, and he is absolutely amazing. So I would like to introduce uh, Bruce Sackman. He served as a special agent in charge, U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, Office of Inspector General, Criminal Investigations Division, Northeast Field Office until May 2005 when he retired after 32 years of service. In this capacity, he was responsible for all major criminal investigations involving the VA from West Virginia to Maine. During his tenure, he was involved in hundreds of investigations, including allegations of fraud, corruption, false claims, thefts, patient assaults, pharmaceutical drug divisions, and suspicious hospital deaths. Bruce is a a former self-employed licensed private investigator in New York City, specializing in health-related matters. Under contract, he had directed major investigations for a large New York metropolitan regional healthcare system. He is also co-author of the book Behind the Murder Curtain. Special Agent Bruce Sackman hunts doctors and nurses who kill our veterans. Welcome back again, Bruce. It's so good to have you. And it's so good to be here. I'm really looking forward to today's episode. We have a lot to talk about. And I always like to preface my remarks by saying that no one has more respect for nurses 
than I do. And that's coming from someone who has arrested maybe more nurses than just about anybody else. All right. Because right. along with arresting the bad ones, I got introduced to some fantastic, fabulous nurses who have performed miracles in saving lives and helping me during my investigation. So even though I've seen both sides of the profession, I have the greatest respect for the nursing profession. And I always like to start off that way before we get into the nitty gritty of some of the not so nice things. Yeah, you know, it's it, I'm I'm so thankful that you said that. And I know that these cases are few and far between, but the impact is real. And I think even just last week we talked about like another nurse who was actually criminalized by sorry, she wasn't a nurse, she was a medical technologist who was criminalized by another nurse. And I think this is where you know, although these things are rare, we have to talk about them. They're so important that we do, you know, pull back, like like in your book, pull back the murder curtain behind these cases. And we know it's not just nurses. We know that there are other healthcare professionals that have been at, uh, you know, at, you know, have actually murdered or, or harmed individuals. But again, that the majority of us are out there to help and to, to keep people Absolutely. healthy. Absolutely. And anybody who thinks otherwise is totally mistaken. But, you know, I tell you something interesting I've noticed in the last couple of years is that more medical professions are now subject to criminal investigation that never were before. Have you noticed this trend? All of a sudden, some activities that maybe were handled administratively or the nurses just lost their license or the doctors lost their license. Now, all of a sudden, there seems to be a very, very gradual increase in the number and types of criminal charges that being levied against medical professionals, which I kind of support. But you know what we haven't seen? We haven't seen any criminal charges against the managers who aided no. and abetted and let these people continue right. to right. work, including, and I'm sure you're probably familiar with, that doctor from Columbia Presbyterian who sexually assaulted hundreds of his patients. Oh, we had an episode where we talked about someone yeah, that- Now, he was criminally charged, but what happened to all those managers that supported him, mm -hmm. who even lied to the patients about this doctor? Oh, yeah. You know what? The hospital paid out millions of dollars, but were any of these managers- ever charged? Were any of these managers, did it cost them any money personally? You know, until that happens, these episodes are going to continue and continue because the managers are going to say, it's more beneficial to, for me to do whatever I can to protect the reputation of the hospital, regardless of the safety of the patients. The reputation of the hospital will come first and that will keep my job. That right, yep, exactly. All it's right. act, it's actually a good feature changes, of this. We're going to be having this conversation a couple of times a year. I 100% agree with you, Bruce. It's actually a very critical feature to even this case. I think we keep hearing that time and time again, but we'll touch on that a little bit later in the episode. I'll hand it back to Sarah to ask you the first question. Yeah, so we were actually really interested in a case that took place in the UK because all the cases we've talked about so far have been mainly in the US and Canada. And we were actually shocked to hear about the case of Lucy Letby, who was a former ICU or an NICU nurse. And um, I just wondered, Bruce, if you could give like a, brief synopsis and kind oh, of- Oh, sure, absolutely, absolutely. You know, 
I actually spoke about this case on the British television. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you something. Um, people shouldn't be so shocked mm. because if they had read my book right, and a, a number of other books out there, they would see that this is not the first time that a nurse anywhere in the world has not only murdered patients, but murdered children. You know, in England, in England, before Lucy Ledby, there was a nurse, Beverly Alice. Have you heard of that? I think Beverly I read a Wikipedia Alice thing, but yeah. Murdered a number of babies and children. This was in England. So it shouldn't have been coming like a, such a great shock to them, okay? Um, she was probably the poster girl for Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Now, we spoke about this, you know, but just to remind people what Munchausen syndrome by proxy is, she started out having Munchausen syndrome even as a child. She wow. would burn herself. She would hurt herself. Oh she would bandage herself just to get attention. She would do anything she could do to get attention. Ner Munchausen syndrome by proxy is when you hurt someone else, like a mother sometimes will intentionally hurt a child and right. bring the child into the hospital to show what a caring parent they are. Well, we've had a number of cases around the world, including one in my book, where a, a nurse will intentionally harm a patient and then call a code. Yep. And during the code, you know, she'll start barking orders out to people and taking charge and getting all the attention she wanted. This was very interesting because Lucy Redfield, and for those of you who don't know about Lucy Redfield, Lucy Redfield was a nurse in England who was eventually, and when I say eventually, there's a long time span between when she was first suspected of murdering people and finally convicted. Right. A very long time span. And in that time span, there is a, and people should Google this, there's a lot of evidence about how management covered up this crime, refused to call the police, and it usually starts something like this. And we, we talked about this before. A concerned doctor and nurse will come to management and they'll say, you know, it seems like every time Lucy Letby is on duty, people are dying unexpectedly. Right. Mm -hmm. so she's off duty and everything seems to be fine. Yeah. And management's response is, well, have you actually seen Lucy Ledby harm anybody? Well, I actually haven't seen her harm anybody, but here's a series of events that have happened. Well, you know what? I think you better go back and take another look, because if you start claiming that one of our employees is intentionally murdering people, do you know what that's going to happen to the hospital? Right. You know yeah. You know what's going to happen to your reputation if you're wrong with these allegations? So there's a very, very interesting, um, and I actually had it printed out. There was a very, very interesting time frame from when the allegations first surfaced to the time that she was actually accused of murdering patients. And how did she murder patients? Well, you know, it's interesting because many medical serial killers actually will find one particular drug or one particular method and keep using that. But some of them 
use multiple methods. They kind of experiment to see which ones were best. Yeah. And according to the trial, you know, she used insulin. Yep. Insulin, unfortunately, has become the number one murder weapon <sighs> in the hospitals. Um, and it's it's a shame. But there are more, probably more insulin cases that I'm aware of now than any other drug. And insulin, of course, sometimes people use that for suicide. You know, people commit suicide with insulin. So it's very, very dangerous. I don't I have to tell you that. And then injecting air mm-hmm. into the patients, including one into her stomach, into the you know, child's stomach, so that the diaphragm wouldn't work. I mean, these are terrible, terrible, terrible things. But when you look at, it began in 2015, mm-hmm. 2015. And the first meeting took place between this doctor and management where he alleged that the nurse was intentionally harming people. And management poo-pooed that like you wouldn't believe. And they had a series of meetings, 2015, 2016. This went on for years. And did they take her off of patient care? No. All they did was defend her and defend her and criticize the whistleblowers. And as we know, there's a long history of whistleblowers, particularly in the medical profession, um, having a really tough time until they're actually proven to be correct. So Lucy Ledby, who killed a number of children, there is an incredible parallel with Lucy Ledby and one of my medical serial killers, Kristen Gilbert. And I tell you, it's, it's so amazing. First of all, they even look alike, which when I showed the picture to the Kristen Gilbert prosecutor, he went crazy. He said, my God, they even look alike, these two. All right. And you know something interesting? If you remember in the book, Kristen Gilbert had a boyfriend and this boyfriend would appear every time there was a code and they would interact and it all, you know, they were grabbing and doing all yep. sorts of well, with Lucy Ledby, she had a boyfriend. He was a doctor. Really? He would appear at many of these codes and she would want to show off to him her skills in trying to save these babies, even though she had actually caused their death. Wow. And, you know what? And so the parallels are kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Between Kristen Gilbert and Lucy Ledley. And you know what's interesting? At the trial, her boyfriend doctor, who they never identified, I guess under British law because he's a married man, but they were meeting <laughs> secretly outside. And then uh, when the parents got up, when the doctors got up and they spoke about the baby, she showed no emotion yep. whatsoever at the trial. But when her ex-boyfriend got up and testified against her, she got so emotional, she tried to leave the court. Oh, wow. All right. So could you imagine that? You're involved in the murder of all these beautiful young infants. And you just sit there motionless. Then your boyfriend, who used to respond to some of these codes, comes up and talks against you. And then the jury sees you just go crazy. Like you can't handle it. Like, oh my God, why is he here? Why is he testifying against me? This is really why I did all of this. You see, I really did all of this 
to show off to him and the other staff my fantastic skills. And mm. now they're testifying against me. Oh, that really hurt me. Yeah, really it hurt. it almost seems characteristic of, I don't know, like other cases where we talk about other serial killers like Ted Bundy. And the fact that when his when one of his victims who actually survived testified against him, that was the only time that you saw the emotion because she was like, you know, I actually got away from you. And um, you see that raw emotion that that typically I would say that she's a psychopath or a sociopath that they typically don't have because clearly she had no regard for those mm. children she didn't have any regard for their life but when it came to someone that she felt that she cared about or was trying to impress um and they were not impressed by her um that that is when she showed emotion and again i actually read something that was also interesting she didn't even want to attend i guess this is very different between like u.s law and canadian law that she actually said that she didn't want to attend her sentencing hearing and i mean i think that's crazy like i know and that's what yeah. I, that was one wow. of the things get away from like how can you just be like oh you know i don't want to attend it um but again i did hear that she didn't attend her sentencing hearing and the judge actually said that she's sadistic and i agree with him you know another interesting thing when you read and there's a lot to read about lucy ledby you could spend days reading everything that came out about her right right but one of the things you read about her is very interesting the interaction she had with the families yes. of the babies, all right? Very, very, very interesting. There was one case where she actually like took a picture of the child, then wanted the mother to come in and take a picture bathing the dead child. I saw that, yeah. You know, I mean, have you ever heard of any... Absolutely wow. not. No. And I'm a former NICU nurse. I would find that very inappropriate, actually. And I think that there were some cases where she admitted to looking up some of the families on she Facebook them, yeah. and she could not, when questioned about it, she could not explain or she, or she didn't want to explain why she was doing that. Well, again, it's a parallel to another case that we all know about the Dr. Michael Swango case. Remember when Swango would murder the patients, he'd love to call up the family. Yep, and tell the families in great detail about dad's last 30 minutes of suffering on earth because that was his second bite of the excitement of the apple. This to me is like her second bite of the apple. The first one is having that power of life and death and actually killing the child. And the second one is interacting with the parents to try to show them, oh, she was so compassionate and so caring which was such bull because she had actually murdered these people. Now, is that the craziest thing that you could ever imagine? It's enough to kill people, but then to interact with the victim's families and try to convince them, oh, what a great, caring, and skilled nurse you really are. And we've seen this in other cases as well, but that one really reminded me of Swango when Swango would call up the parents on the phone and, and say that to him. And another thing that was pretty common, you know, a number of these medical serial killers seem to keep like personal diaries, you know? And Lucy yeah. Ledby had one. And Lucy Ledby in her diary seemed to indicate, oh, she's a terrible nurse, she's responsible for this. But her defense team tried to change it into saying that well, she felt bad that they died. She's not really saying that she killed them. 
but uh, I don't think the jury actually bought bought that well as well. Yeah, well, that case, Lucy Ledby, I tell you, that case was in England and the United Kingdom. I mean, like every day for weeks on end on the print media, the news media. But it wasn't the, the you know, there wasn't the first time they've had this problem. Of course, they had the famous Dr. Harold Shipman. Dr. Harold Shipman, if you recall, killed about 300 of his patients. Wow. Right. Um, he was England's most prolific medical serial killer. But for some reason, this Lucy Ledby, and maybe because she was young and somewhat attractive and, uh, you know, what the media really liked to see. If she was some overweight, gross-looking woman, who knows? Maybe the media wouldn't even have been so attracted to her. But the fact that she was a young, you know, fairly attractive woman, just like Kristen Gilbert. And Kristen Gilbert, the media was there at the trial every day for six months. Cameras out front. And she loved it. She loved it. But so I was asked to testify. Well, not to testify, but I was asked to comment on English television about what, what you had mentioned about she did not want to go to the sentencing. And they passed the law now that requires anyone who's convicted of a crime to be at the sentencing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now they asked my opinion of that. I'm not quite sure if that would pass muster here because first of all, um, if, you know, would they have to be bound and gagged that they were carrying on? I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I understand the theory behind it. You know, it's sort of like a, almost like a revenge for the families, I guess, in, in some respects. But um, I'm not sure if that would actually pass constitutional muster here or not. But on the other side of the coin, there are killers who would love to see the family there. They would right. love to see their reaction. They would get a big thrill out of it. So is that the right law? Well, I suppose it is. I mean, I'm not really, I kind of have mixed feelings about that that particular one. But, um, you know, so Lucy Ledby, getting back to Lucy Ledby, she recently tried to appeal. Have you have you seen this? She no, tried I, to I, appeal. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I was going to ask you actually what you thought about the outcome and what are your thoughts about the whole appeal? All right. Well, here's my thoughts. I know the appeal was denied. I guess English law is, you know, somewhat somewhat different. But but I want to just remind you. There's a famous case, a famous case called Lucy de Burke. Have you ever heard of Lucy de Burke? Lucy de Burke was a nurse in the Netherlands that was convicted of killing a number of young people. A large part of that conviction was based on the statistics and some questionable gray area signs, okay? So she was actually, her conviction was overturned in 2010 uh, because the court ruled that the statistics that were used, like the chances of somebody dying on the ward when Lucy, the clerk, was on the ward was like a million to one. And the court kind of threw that out. They said that wasn't true. And they questioned some of the science. So Lucy, the clerk, is a famous case that was overturned eventually. Mm. And this is what I think Lucy Letby 
was kind of hoping will happen to her. There's a group of people out there, a group of st statisticians and others who love these cases and delve into them and try to find reason for appeal. And I guess the first reason has not swayed the court, but you never know what the future will bring. You never really know. Hope, she still denies that she, she murdered these people. You know, yeah, she's I, still I really hope not. Yeah, and just to fill in our listeners, um, Lucy Lepi was found guilty of seven counts of murders of seven babies. And as you said, Bruce, she, she killed them by injecting them with air, overfeeding them, poisoning them with insulin and assaulting them with medical tools. And so she was found guilty of seven counts of attempted murder of six infants, not guilty of two counts of attempted murder. Um, and she was sentenced to life imprisonment with a whole life order. But then it looks like in September, they confirmed that an application for an appeal had been lodged and her retrial was on September 25th, 2023. So it looks like um, a date of June 10th, 2024 has been set, but the trial will not be conducted after judges had decided whether or not to grant let be permission to appeal. Right. Right. So kind of what you said, but just some more details there. Yeah, but I wouldn't be totally shocked if a couple of years down the road or something, they try again and they uh, come up with some new evidence um, new experts, something else would happen, which would be so painful for the families. Yeah, just, just so painful. Thank you so much, Bruce. That's actually a really great point. And here's a message from our sponsor. This podcast episode is brought to you by healthcareproviders.ca. Attention Hospital HR in Ontario. Are you in search for the perfect insurance solution for your part-time and casual employees? Look no further. Meet Healthcare Providers Group Insurance Plan, your go-to option for ensuring the well-being of your team. With Healthcare Providers, also known as HCP, you're not just providing insurance, you're offering peace of mind. HCP's comprehensive coverage includes medical, dental, and vision benefits designed to keep your part-time employees healthy and happy. There's even a package that includes life, long-term disability, accidental death, disease and dismemberment, coverage for those who have already had benefits through their spouse. It's time to bridge the gap between full-time and part-time staff benefits. With Healthcare Providers Group Insurance Plan, you can level the playing field and show your commitment to all of your team members. Join the community of over 90 plus forward-thinking hospital HR managers who've made the smart choice. Visit healthcareproviders.ca today to discover how HCP can help support your team in a meaningful way. You know, we, we, we talk about these numbers and we talk about the science, but sometimes we forget about all the pain that's involved. Could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine if this happened to your child? Mm -hmm. You know, you're, imagine the pain and suffering that the families go through needlessly because of this, all through the trial. And they have to listen to this. And then if there's an appeal and another trial, 
the pain is unbelievable. And when you when you really realize this, how painful it is for the families at the sentencings, because at the sentencing is when the families get an opportunity to get up and speak and speak as to why they feel that the perpetrator of the crime should receive a very strong sentence. Right. And it's very, very emotional. And at that moment, all your thoughts about science and statistics and insulin and all that goes out the window. Because right then you see the whole human side of this. These are people that have lost babies, who have lost young children, children that were improving only because of this person. Right. It is just heart-wrenching. It really is heart-wrenching. Look, during the whole case, especially as investigators, we kind of put this aside, you know, because we have to concentrate on the facts and the science and the witnesses and the testimony and all the things that cops do. And sometimes we kind of forget, or maybe not forget, but put aside the whole human aspect of this. But when it comes to the sentences, boy, it hits you right in the face. Yeah. And then you realize, you realize what the families go through here. It's terrible. Well, if you think about it, and I think this is maybe where Sarah has can lend more of her expertise and maybe even me from just being a parent who had children in the NICU, you're fully entrusting that that care team there is looking after your child. Because again, if they're in the NICU, there's something wrong, right? They Maybe there was like, you know, they were born early. They were premature. I had twins. So this case kind of really hit hard for me because one of the things that they said was she specifically went after t twins and triplets and multiples. And, um, you know, you we can't be there eight hours a day. Sometimes you try to be there as much as you can as a parent, but you're not. So you're really entrusting that whoever is looking after that, your baby is going to make sure that they're doing what's in their best interest. And again, all babies can do is cry, right? They, and and they not even sometimes, and sometimes not, not even, even, right? They can't speak. They can't, you know, say what's happening to them. They can't show any signs of distress in terms of, you know, what was happening. And, she, and again, Lucy Letby was doing these things to these babies when other nurses were on break. Like she wasn't doing it around other nurses. She waited for nurses to go on break and to do this. And then again, like what you said, Bruce, like the fact that she would, you know, it's almost like taunting. I kind of... I, I, I would say she's just like any other serial killer out there because, you know, Ted Bundy and various other people would go back to the, the to the bodies to desecrate them. They would tr they would follow what was happening with the family. She reached out to several families on Facebook. This is a horrible, horrible individual. I couldn't imagine as a parent what I would feel if I knew this person now tried to, you know, I think she also said I think that like you think she did prints and things for the babies like she was just. Like, that's an awful thing to do. And I think yeah. as a parent, for me to to recognize that this person was the same person who patted me on the back while I was crying and upset was the same person who murdered my child is unimaginable. It's unthinkable. Yeah. And I would well, say you, that. Yeah. Go ahead, Bruce. No, I was just going to say you had mentioned about the crying. And one of the things that came out during the trial is that when Lucy Ledby injected air into the abdomen of one of those twins. The nurses heard a crying like they've never heard before. Oh, my God. You know, they said this was a different kind of crying. This was mm. a different kind. This is something we hadn't heard before. And that was very telling to, to them. Yeah. As well. 
Yeah, it's just hard as a nurse, right? Because everything that I'm hearing goes against everything that I stand for, right? Like the whole air in the line, it's just, I don't even know how people come up with this stuff. And it is really hard for parents to leave every night. Like there were parents who would cry every time they had to leave and to think that some of their fears were not unfounded because of people like Lucy Letby. It's just really, really horrible and traumatic to hear about that. Yeah. And you know, you know what kind of angered me during this thing is, you know, for years, for years I have been pushing this red flags, you know, the red flags. Let's go over some of these red flags for a minute. Yes, let's do that. And take a look at Lucy Letby and some of the other cases we met. Okay. First red flag. Statistically, a patient's risk of harm or death is significantly greater when treated by the subject. I think she gets a check mark. Yeah. Right. Subject worked the graveyard shift was along with the patient or patients were screened off from others. Check. Subject is uncommonly accurate in predicting patients demise. I don't know if that was one of them. I don't I, I don't know. But this is definitely one. Patients deaths were unexpected by staff or family. Family not at the patient's bedside. Yep. Now yep. you see why I was getting angry when I'm watching this case. I said, because since the year like 2000, I've been teaching this and preaching this. And here we go again. One of the most terrible ones that I've seen. Um, death certificates, um, side illness is a cause of death like cardio or pulmonary uh, embolism or cardiac arrest. Nothing, nothing like what was actually used to kill people, right? Initial review, how about this one? Finds insufficient evidence to pursue the case. Protective management buys in quickly. Hey, Lucy Whitby's not the first case that this no. has happened to. This has happened the case after case around the world. And as I'm watching Lucy Whitby, the steam is coming out of me because I said, my God, I have seen this so many times. You know, the whistleblowers on Lucy Ledby were actually ordered to apologize to her. To apologize to her. Wild. Yeah. I, I mean, people and they were ordered to apologize to her. All right. Here's another one. I mean, the subject often continues patient care during investigation and removed only after allegations become more and more knowledgeable. Yep. They kept her on. It's not like they took her out of patient care. They kept her in there and they kept with patient care even when all these allegations had surfaced. Don't you think somebody who's responsible for that should, you know, if the law doesn't say that they could be prosecuted, then I think we need to change the law. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think this like is our prosecutor. This, because to me, they aided and abetted these murders. Yep. And I often think that people. like it was it was until the allegations became so much that it was, again, threatening the hospital's reputation before they did anything. Right. Like you're saying, everything's about the reputation. And, and this is where I guess, you know, they hit the point of no return and they had to do something. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's very disgraceful that this is a part of the problem that we have within our healthcare system, that it's more important for the hospital to maintain a certain status or reputation versus then actually persecute people who are harming or and or murdering people within our hospital walls. But 
I think also it's important to understand that that there remain many un unanswered questions about this. We we obviously know uh, now through the criminal case that Letby was guilty of these crimes. That's been proved beyond reasonable doubt. Um, but there are a whole series of further questions, particularly around the um, actions of hospital management and particularly the sense that hospital management was driven by reputational protection of the hospital rather than by patient safety. And I think those are the those are the the, the questions that I think, uh, you know, my clients and many others are now obviously focused on trying to get answers to. And how are you doing that? I, I've read some stories about how your clients were kind of waved off uh, when they raised concerns. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I mean, uh, after the, the the death of their child, one of the families we represent um, had some uh, correspondence from Ian Harvey, who was the medical director of the hospital at that time. And um, the correspondence indicated, although to be honest, it was fairly vague, but it indicated that various investigations were being taken, were, 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 were being conducted. And it actually invited um, the family to, to make contact with Mr. Harvey, invited them to phone in and, and make contact and get more details. They tried to do that. They actually, they told us that they tried to do that many, many times, but they were unable to get any response out of him. He, he never returned any of their calls and um, it never, um, never arranged a meeting, although the, the letters made reference to the um, his, his, his wish to have a meeting, but that no, none of that ever materialised. Um, it's important to understand that, you know, the, the families we represent are very, very ordinary people, just normal families. They're not used to negotiating their way through um, an NHS bureaucracy, uh, a health service bureaucracy um, and medical terminology, particularly, you know, in, in circumstances where they've lost children in very traumatic circumstances. So, you know that the, the hospital has a responsibility in this situation to to reach out and 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 try to help them through this process and that um unfortunately i'm afraid is not what happened and the sense we get is very much that that um harvey was was not interested in trying to be candid with them about what was going on didn't respond to their their calls and you know they were left very much in the dark about the the reality of what had occurred now that was as we understand it, this was before the, the police investigation got underway. And I think Mr. Harvey, in, in his response to the, 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 the newspaper article overnight, has tried to suggest that he was limited in what he could say because of the police investigation. But this correspondence that they received from him came before the police investigation, as we understand it. And so, um, you know, and, and, and as I say, he, he was actually, you know, inviting them to, to, to get in contact and, and to get more information. And so, um, you know, their sense is very much that they were fobbed off. Um, uh, that, that, that's how they felt about it. Uh, they, they, they very much felt that he wasn't interested in engaging with them about what had occurred. And that's consistent with, you know, with what others have said about his, um, his attitude here. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we have a situation where families have been through this desperately traumatic loss of a child and were wanting to get some answers, you know, how, how did this happen? What, what were the what were the circumstances and, um, you know, what went wrong? And none of that was was really forthcoming in reality. And then, of course, the police investigation took over. And that has lasted a number of years and has resulted in the criminal trial. But we still have this issue 
around the conduct of hospital managers. Mr. Harvey's one of them and, and, a, and a key figure in this, but there are obviously others as well. And that's why we need the public inquiry, the, the public investigation into um, the surrounding circumstances. There's no incentive, no incentive for managers to do anything but cover up and do whatever they can to cover for the institution in that their view is to protect the institution and actually their own job. Yep. And one of the worst instances of this was at Columbia Presbyterian with that doctor who sexually assaulted over 200 of his patients. And I invite your listeners to read that case very, very carefully. Then you'll probably take your computer and smash it because you'll be yep. so angry about what you're reading. And, you know, the institution, they had to pay millions, millions of dollars in fines and to the victims many, many years after this had happened. All right. But the people that were responsible for this cover up, nothing happened to them. Yeah. I have a question for uh, you, Bruce. Nothing. I have a yeah. question for you. What, what do you think makes healthcare providers so hard to not just catch, but to criminalize? So, for example, if this was a member of the general public, like someone just, you know, who didn't work in a hospital, not a nurse, not a physician, we'd probably be on to them and catching them a lot faster and criminalizing them a lot faster. But it seems like when it comes to physicians or nurses, there's this long drawn up process. And then some people don't even get justice. So for example, there's a doctor here in Ontario. We talked about him just recently who had so many sexual assaults against him and the, the, you know, the, um, the various different associations give him a, slap on the wrist they one time they sent in didn't they send someone to like come check the clinic an auditor or something and like yeah. oh he didn't have the right person in there that should be monitoring making sure that he's not going in the room with these patients by themselves meanwhile but if it was their daughter that was sexually assaulted i don't think they would feel that way do 100%, you 100 percent. but but when it comes to like pinning down physicians and nurses there's a problem why do you think it's so difficult for our you know our criminal justice system as well as even our health administration system to to put these people on blast well there, there are a number of reasons one of the doctors in the lucy ledby case said well if patients are in the icu they're expected to die wow oh my god um, so here comes along a lay person like myself who has no medical training. And eventually when they get called to the hospital, they will hear something like this. Um, well, thank you very much officer for your concern. You know, we were just as concerned as you are. So we put together a board of our very best experts and we <laughs> reviewed the cases of this particular nurse. Of course, they were all my employees, you know, nobody. Right. Outside. So we put together a board of our very best experts. And we made a determination medically and scientifically that all these patients expired as a direct result of their natural disease processes. Right. Now, Officer Bruce, if you want to challenge that, if you have the resources or the time or to challenge that, I know how busy you know your department is. Well, knock yourself out. But this is the conclusion our medical experts came to. Right. And most cops are going to say, Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm on to the next case. I'm going to close this file out. You know, look, I was with the federal government and we had plenty of money to investigate and call on experts and all of this. 
If you're in some small police department somewhere, overworked and underpaid, and you have an opportunity to close this case out, you will close this case out. Yeah. And sometimes mm -hmm. in small communities, the medical centers are very, very close with the police. Look, the police bring people in there all the time. They don't want the hospital pissed off at them. Why? They might have to bring in one of their officers, God forbid, that was assaulted or shot or something. They That's don't want true, the hospital right? angry at them. They want the hospital to be their friends. So they actually want to help the hospital. They want to partner with the hospital. They don't really want to investigate a place that them and their families might actually have to go to one, one day for care. So now you have a situation where these things occur in an environment with very, very, very professional, educated people who live in a world that the police don't understand. They, you know, in the US, we have this HIPAA law, this Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and it could be very confusing for police. What records can I get with a subpoena? What records do I need a court order for? Does a judge have to sign it? How am I gonna challenge? I mean, these patients are so sick. Any one of their illnesses could have caused something. Right. And not only that, but a number of these patients you know, they're under, um, they're under the influence of numerous medications. Mm -hmm. And some of these medications could actually cause them to hallucinate. All right? This right. is hospital delirium. And that's a real condition. You know that hospital delirium is a real condition when patients who are under the influence of multiple medications start to uh, think that God knows what's going on. Right. So, you know, officer, this is what happened. You see, these these women who think they were sexually assaulted, they were, you know, they, they were on certain drugs. There were no witnesses to this. This doctor has, he's a pillar of the community. We're not talking about some street level thug here. We're talking about a medical professional, all right? So, you know what? Just let us handle it, officer. And by the way, you know, if you and your family are ill, just call me up. And we'll have the best doctors available for you and your department. Yeah, I think there's something very problematic about hospitals investigating themselves. I think that's hugely uh, problematic. And I also think it's problematic that, you know, a lot of these associations, whether it's a medical association or a nursing association, there might be unions or things or power or money behind them that really prevent you know, that criminalization or investigation of these other of, of you know, these nurses or physicians. And again, nurses just this year, um, after 20, I think it's like 22 years in a row have been noted as the most trusted profession. And again, I, I believe that we should be trusted. But again, I think we should still be there should still be some measure where if there are things that look untoward that nurses just as any other individual are investigated appropriately and thoroughly and I, I always beg the question because I don't know if you noticed too Bruce with how the media even talked about Lu uh, Lucy Letby that you know she was she's beautiful she's unassuming I remember seeing a little clip of her and her voice was very calm I don't know if you, she was like very quiet and very demure and I blame the media for also painting this type of picture of her as this angelic nurse and she clearly was not and I think that you know there's a lot of people that we have to hold accountable management staff for really hiding and trying to defend themselves in relation to this case um various different leaders who also tried to step in and and you know again not 
show evidence, not, you know, give records of what was happening. I, bl I blame, you know, social media in terms of how she was depicted. Cause I think again, if she, maybe she looked different, like you said, Bruce, that maybe she'd be, maybe people would be more quick to act. I think that again, we have an accountability problem in our healthcare system when it comes to these types of cases. And I, I really hope that we start looking at having more external forms of review um, because it's problematic. It's very problematic when hospitals don't want to look at themselves and say, hey, you know, we're actually the problem. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that come out of the Lucy Ledby case is the National Institute of Health has put together a commission to look into this case and to see what went wrong and what changes could be made. Right. All right. I'm holding my breath. <laughs> I want to see exactly what comes out of this, okay? Because if it's the same crap that I've heard over the last 20 plus years of doing this, I am going, the steam is going to come out of me once again, right? okay? Here's an opportunity. Like I say, this is not the first nurse in England to be charged, not the first medical professional who murdered patients in England, okay? It's about time they had a commission like this, but secondly... Let's see what they come out with. Are they going to come out with a protocol for all their hospitals as to what happens when allegations like this surface? Are they going to come out with some incentives for whistleblowers and protection for whistleblowers who come forth? Because if they don't, then everything else is just going to kind of be window dressing. And it's yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And then they'll be shocked. Oh, we're shocked it happened again. Well, don't be so shocked because now with this commission, they're responsible for coming out with changes to prevent this from happening again. Right. So we're going to, well, I haven't heard anything about we'll this. We'll see. We're working on it. Yeah, I'll give them some time. But I want to see. I want to see because there are, you know, the, the most famous whistleblower case was one that we had in Texas where these two nurses who were the entire compliance department of the hospital, they went to management to complain that they thought this doctor was harming patients. Right. And do I have to tell you what management said or can you guess? I'm sure we can <laughs> assume. <you can> guess <laughs> All right. And management not only said, uh, go back to your little office and be quiet, but they said, you know how hard it is to find doctors here in Kermit, Texas? Why do we have to go all the way to the Philippines? We're lucky we have a doctor. So shut up and go back to your office and be happy you have a job. Well, these two nurses being very professional and heroes like so many are, they wrote an anonymous letter to the state uh, medical board about this doctor and the doctor got wind of it and boy, was he pissed. So he calls up the local sheriff who happened to be one of his patients. Remember, we just talked about this, who happened to be one of his patients. And he says, Sheriff, I think these women are trying to intentionally harm my reputation. And the sheriff says, don't worry, doc. You took good care of me. I'll take good care of you. And he gets a search warrant for their computers. And he finds that they were the authors of the anonymous letter. He has them arrested and prosecuted for misuse of official information. They lose their jobs. They have to pay for their own defense. They go to trial. The jury's out for about 20 minutes and comes back and says, what are you kidding me? These nurses deserve a medal for what they did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not to be criminally yeah. prosecuted. But you know what? What kind of message does that send out to the nursing community out there? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Do you hear about those two nurses in Texas? 
Did you hear what happened to them? Oh, yeah, they won at the end. Do you want to go through all that? Yeah. Do you want to lose your job? Do you want to maybe have to get your own attorney? So, you know, I keep your mouth shut. And I think yeah. that bothers me. You know, I, I do these presentations. I have a big PowerPoint. I've done these presentations all over the world. Inevitably, inevitably, at the end of the presentation, some nurse will come over to me and say, hey, you know, Bruce, we had this employee. I oh, my it. God. Oh, no. We had this employee. And we suspected something and they're running through the whole details. And I've heard this so many times. I mean, all over the world, I've heard this. They say, but you know what? That doctor, he moved on to another hospital and we were so happy that we got rid of him. We never did anything. We never notified the patients. We never notified the police. We never did anything. And until this stops, it's, you know, until some management, and this is my personal opinion, and I don't care if we have to change the law or not, is held criminally responsible for aiding and abetting these murders, they're just going to continue doing what, what, what they're doing. And I even saw this in the VA, and you say, well, wait a minute, the VA, that's a government hospital. There's no like financial interest for the manager to do that. Well, there is, because he's still concerned about his job, his reputation, everything, just like it is the private sector. And I was really, really surprised by this. And they come up with these, these ideas. In there was a nurse, Richard Williams, in um, Columbia, Missouri, um, suspected of killing 60 of our nation's heroes. Wow. 60. The manager said, oh, I got an idea. I got an idea. Let's assign another nurse to work with Richard Williams. And this nurse could watch Richard. Well, when that second nurse was there, Richard was a good boy. When that second nurse wasn't there, he continued to kill people. And the management did nothing. So, you know what? Um, it's very, very frustrating. It's yeah. very frustrating. It sure is. Yeah. You know, when, when these cases surface, because the red flags are there. We know what to look for. And we know at least take these people out, out of patient care. Please, please at least do that. But they don't want to do it. Yeah. And it sounds like you actually kind of answered my next question, which is what can we do about it? It sounds like the resources are there. We have the red flags protocol. We have the awareness. We have all of this. But until we actually have incentives for managers and organizations to report, and until I think we have more protection for whistleblowers, the same thing is going to happen. So that's what I would say is really what's needed at the end of the day is more incentives to report and catch these killers and for whistleblowers to be rewarded and not punished and not to lose their careers and you know feel like they've gone through the ringer like we actually should be celebrating them right so i think that there's a lot that we could do and a, a lot that you have suggested bruce is there any anything last that you want to suggest yeah i want to say this you know in yeah. the world in the united states in the world of fraud cases right, if a hospital is committing medicare fraud or medicaid fraud in the united states and you're a whistleblower we have something called the key TAM suit. Have you ever heard of this? Q-U-I-T-A-M, this is the way it works. It's actually based on English common law. It's he who sues on behalf of the king and, and himself. And this is the way it works. Let's say you know your hospital is defrauding the government. 
overcharging, misbilling, doing all these terrible things, only financial now, okay? Well, in the United States, you could go to an attorney and file what they call a key TAM lawsuit. It's like a secret lawsuit hmm. where you will disclose this wrongdoing to the government and the government will do the investigation and you as the whistleblower, someone we call the relator, can receive a portion of the money that the government recovers in fines and penalties. Now, isn't that wonderful? Now, as an investigator, this was my favorite law. I had seven of these cases ongoing at any time, many of them against uh, pharmaceutical companies for off-label marketing. We had one case where a relator, a relator, a whistleblower, got $25 million from the government for a fraud that he related. Wow, that's if he had wild. related that a doctor was killing patients, how much money would he get? Mm. Mm -hmm. Zero. Zero. Okay. Right. So I think one of the things we need to do is create a similar incentive for medical professionals who reveal and disclose, and then it's eventually proven that some of, some of their co-workers or medical professionals are intentionally harming people. Now, I don't know how you'd put a dollar amount on that. Right. And that's something you know you could discuss. But could you imagine, that's why I had so many of these key camp cases. The government loves these cases. Mm. People would bring all the evidence to us, drop it on the desk, say, go investigate. And by the way, when you're done, I'm ready to collect my money. Yeah. There's no incentive whatsoever if that same whistleblower saw me murder somebody, there'd be no financial incentive for them to say a thing. Yeah. You have to think about changing that somehow. Yeah. yeah. I, I really, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sarah. No, I was going to say that's a great topic. And I think that we're going to hold this in our back pocket for maybe another episode. And um, so in the interest of time, I just wanted to thank you, Bruce, for coming on and sharing your expertise once again. I learned so much and I know that Amy did as well. And uh, I just wanted to mention to our readers again that you have a book out. It's called Behind the Murder Curtain. It's available on Amazon. Uh, Amy and I also have a book coming out on April 2nd. It's called The Wisdom of Nurses. So if you listeners want to look up both books uh we'd be very yeah. grateful i think uh, they're both really great reads and thank you again so much bruce for coming on today yeah thank well, you it's bruce. my pleasure and i look forward to reading your book yes well so we should, we should send out, you one just send me a little note now go on amazon and be the first person to order amazing thank you so much <laughs> take care bruce right, thank you welcome. okay bye-bye bye thank you for listening to the gritty nurse podcast if you have any suggestions or want to hear a specific topic, email us at grittynurses at gmail.com. That's grittynurses at gmail.com. We are also speakers and upcoming authors available for engagements related to advocacy, nursing, mental health, and health policy. Please connect with us.